Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly slice of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host, and this is episode 203. This week, digital editor Alex catches up with drinks writer Hannah to celebrate World Gin Day with some botanical-based beauties from around the globe, including Kyoto, Turin and Goa. They discuss what makes each gin unique and why the ingredients used in distilling help evoke the character of the country where it was made. So uh, it's World Gin Day tomorrow, the 13th of June, and as we're in lockdown and can't travel at the moment, Hannah, our drinks writer, and I, Alex, our digital editor, thought we'd indulge you all in a bit of Juniper-themed escapism, chatting about some of our favourite gins from our favourite countries across the world. Um, so here at Olive, uh, we do love our British gins. Um, some of our favourites include Herbaceous Fisher's Gin from Suffolk, Citrusy Roundsbury Gin in Wiltshire and Slingsbury Gooseberry Gin from Yorkshire, um, which is Alex's home county. Um, so do go check them out on our Best British Gins Roundup on olivemagazine.com. Um, but there are also um, some amazing gins um, from across the world that um, often make use of um, really interesting botanicals. Um, so I thought we'd start with Alex's most recent trip and one she took literally just before lockdown descended. In fact, possibly, I think you were like, it was quite, yeah. Drawing. <laughs> just made it back <laughs> to the country um, and then work our way back. Yeah, so uh, I was very, very lucky um, to have got away before this all happened, but it meant that it was scary 24 hours not knowing when we'd be able to come back but I'm very lucky to have gone in the first place so I actually visited Argentina um yeah in February and the first thing we did when we landed was go to a cute chari pan shop that had been recommended to us and this is a street food snack in Argentina and it's like an Argentinian spicy sausage sandwich yummy which are delicious and there we discovered the Principe de Apostolis gin for the first time. So this gin, is, it's produced in the Mendoza wine region at the foot of the Andes, but the gin actually gets its name, which translates as the Prince of Apostolis from the town of Apostolis. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's in the northeast corner of Argentina. So it's really interesting because I only discovered this recently, but it's the national capital of yerba mate, which is the infusion made from yerba mate leaves that gives like a caffeine-like buzz. And mate is like deeply ingrained into Argentinian culture and a lot of Argentinians have their own mate set. So it's like a metal straw with a sieve at the bottom, which is called a bombilla. So it translates as like a light bulb, a bulb. And a mate cup, which is traditionally made from a dried calabaza or let, like those mini kind of pumpkin-like like uh, vegetables. Like a gourd. Yeah, yeah a gourd, yes. Um, and so drinking mate is quite a ritual and a social thing in Argentinian history. And the cup's often like passed around in a group and you take a sip from the straw, but obviously 
not at the moment. <laughs> My Argentinian friend said she can see why coronavirus would spread so widely with um, mate drinking, but we won't go into that. <laughs> um, but I really liked the fact that they used this distinct Argentinian um, piece of like culture and ingredient in in the gin. And um, what? So, what kind of flavour does the mate leaf add to the gin? Um, what we found was actually it really gave a really distinct viscosity to the gin. We didn't really know what it was at first, and we both were just like, "Oh, this is so Moorish!" and really um, added like a really earthy note and like eucalyptus type notes. And that's actually boosted with eucalyptus uh, leaves and pepperina mint leaves, which is a really aromatic herbaceous wild mint that grows on the hills of Cordoba and northeastern Argentina. So it's a really refreshing, really refreshing gin, actually. Um, yeah, it sounds really, um, it's quite unusual to have like mint and eucalyptus flavours in a gin, um, but it does sound delicious. Um, and how do they serve it in Argentina when you were there? Uh, so we had it, I don't know if this is traditional, but we did see it in a lot of the hip places in uh, in Buenos Aires uh, with a slice of pink grapefruit and torched rosemary, which really brought out the herbaceous notes. And also uh, that I really recommend if you can try and find it, and I know they do sell it on uh, Amazon and some like drinks websites, it's called 1724 Tonic Water. And as... Hannah, you'll know, and some of our listeners may know, but legend has it that quinine was first discovered on the Inca Trail in Peru, 1,724 metres above sea level. So to stay true to its original source, uh, this tonic water um, is called, called 1724, and the quinine is harvested from the chinchona trees on the Argentinian side of the Andes, which is just quite nice to keep that tradition in there. And also they use Patagonian water, which is considered to be one of the purest waters in the world due to its like vast bodies of water and Andean lakes and glaciers. So um, it's a rip to have the 1724 tonic and the Apostolis gin is a real, I think, a real way to travel to Argentina without being able to go there. Um, and But what it also reminded me of is one of our favourite gins that Hannah's going to talk about, uh, which uses rosemary to um, to bring out the herbaceous notes, but it's a little closer to home. So maybe chance of us going there sooner than Argentina, oh, maybe. I hope so. <laughs> um, so this gin I'm about to talk about is uh, a favourite of both me and Alex's, and we're it's probably not an, an exaggeration to say we're a bit a bit obsessed with it. it um, it's called Jimare, Um and it's a very a very sort of savoury herbaceous gin. Um, I have a lot of family in Spain, so I've, I've spent a lot of holidays there. Spent a lot of time there. It's one of my favourite places to go. Um, I'm currently my lockdown activity is learning Spanish, so I'm really hoping I can go back there at some point Ooh. and put it into practice. Um, and I always think the flavours of Jimari are kind of like a midsummer in a bottle. But what about the distinct botanicals? You know, so, how how do they evoke a medsummer? Um, so the botanicals in Jimare um, include rosemary, just like with the gin you've just talked about, um, thyme, olive, basil, orange, and lemon. Um, and it's that, as I said, this sort of savoury, herbaceous, citrus, really fragrant character that just reminds me of hot summers in and Spencer and Andalusia, um, from kind of being, you know, in the countryside when it's scorching hot and it's got that sort of herb, sort of herb-scented 
smell in the air mm. um, do you know what I mean in that kind of like in that heat yes um, I do to like nibbling olives it's like bottled yeah it's, just, it's, it's so evocative um, to nibbling olives in a beachside bar by the sea um, and I just all these kind of herbaceous herbal flavours and citrus as well um, it just really sums up the country for me. And what's the best way to drink it? The best way to drink it. Um, so in my opinion, I think the Spanish do the best G&Ts. Um, um, yeah. And what they classically drink it, they classically drink it um, in a big sort of balloon-shaped copper de ballon glass. Um, very generously poured. There isn't any, there's no shot glasses in Spain. Uh, it's a free pour. Often very, <laughs> yeah. Lethal. <laughs> yeah it's dangerous you have to watch yourself because it's very smooth but then you have one and you're like oh oh maybe should maybe i should have maybe i should have another or maybe i should um so it's usually drunk with plenty of ice um quite a high ratio of gin um, as opposed to tonic um and usually comes with um lots of different garnishes um gin mare um i would try it with a sprig of rosemary and a slice of fresh orange and um you should be able to find it it's kind of fairly widely available um it's fever tree mediterranean tonic water that would be the best mixer i'd use for that um i always think drinking gin in this way reminds me of um so there's a city called malaga in the south of spain it's kind of known as a big tourist destination but what maybe not a lot of people know that it it's um it's got a really beautiful um old city with lovely architecture and a really lively um, kind of eating scene and um, there's, I found I once found this little gin bar and it was it was kind of quite dark but because it was so hot outside I remember going inside and it was just absolutely stocked with all the, any kind of gin you'd want so I remember like propping up the bar there to have a nice ice cold gin before kind of going back out in the sun to do a little do a little uh, tapas crawl in the evening um, so yeah it is one of my favourite gins Oh, it's definitely worth people not writing off Malaga. I think a lot often people think, oh, it's just full of people who want like package holidays and to go um, to Marbella and there's like the airport for those yeah, kind of holidays. Like, like, whereas actually the old town is really worth yeah, for venturing sure. into. It's sort of seen as like you fly in and then you kind of go somewhere else. But um, it's also quite small enough. It's a, it's a great place for a mini break. Um, and I, I sort of wax lyrical about it. <laughs> if anyone uh, is asking for inspiration of, of alternative places to go in Spain. Um, okay, so we've now we're going to move slightly further east or quite far east to talk about um, Alex's favourite Japanese gin. I visited Japan and Kyoto uh, last year, which I was very, very lucky to be able to do. And I was put in touch with a friend of a friend who just so happened to be the head distiller of Kyoto Distillery, which uh, wasn't planned, but it was a very lucky coincidence. So I got to try this really unique, delicate gin out there. And I've had it a lot since coming back as well. And it's really widely available now um, in the UK. What I love about it is how its local botanicals really reflect like Kyoto's culture and cuisine. Um, So one thing that makes it so distinct is the fact that it's rice-based rather than the usual grain base used across the world. Am I right in saying that, Hannah? Um, Yeah, so... Obviously, it's made with all different things. So for anyone who doesn't know, um, gin starts with a kind of base alcohol, um, which can be made with anything, but it's usually some kind of grain alcohol, like wheat, for example, um, and then it's flavoured with things like juniper and other herbs and botanicals, and that's what gives it its ginny flavour. But at its base, it's just a plain spirit. But it's unusual. Yeah, I mean, rice, I don't normally hear rice, but of course, given sake is made in Japan, 
it does seem very fitting. Yes. Yeah, and it's actually made in the same area of Kyoto Kyoto as the sake distillery district, which is called Fushimi, and it's known for its water. And Fushimi actually means, uh, it comes from two words, which mean water from an underground source, which doesn't sound very... Um, doesn't sound as nice as fashimi, but um, it just shows that the water from there is the most prized in the area. And so as rice is so ingrained into Jap- Japanese culinary culture, the team behind the distillery thought like it was a unanimous decision for the team to, to make it with a rice base. But it also, it's not just about saying it's made with rice. It adds, adds a really smooth, like velvety texture to the gin. And it's also packed with really unique botanicals and I won't talk about all of them but I think three of them are really worth noting because they really define the it's like a terroir like gins have a terroir as well as wine um which sounds a bit you know but it's true I think yeah absolutely um, so I mean all the, gin- the botanicals include Sorry? I was just going to say, uh, all the gins we've talked about are very reflective of, of where they're made so far. So, yeah, I definitely think that's right. Yeah. And that's why we're suggesting to drink them, isn't it? To to try and evoke a, a holiday and have a bit of escapism. For sure. So the um, the first one is Gyokuru green tea that adds the real, real delicate grassy notes that you find in the essential green teas that are served in Kyoto's traditional machias, which are the uh, where the tea ceremonies performed and these are often they're all over the city but in the Gion district of Kyoto city you can spot like geishas still um walking between the the wooden merchant houses which is really special to experience I didn't I didn't experience it myself but um Alex who runs the distillery said that it's really magical because you you can really get taken back to the time when that was what the city mm. was known for. They also use um, hinoki wood chips from Japanese cypress trees, which I thought was a really nice addition because it's super fragrant and woody aroma and it will really likely transport you back to Japan if you're lucky enough to visit it as it's used in Japanese incense and as, as well as to build the actual shrines, temples and the onsen baths. So you probably, if you smell it, you'll, it might be quite familiar to you and whiskey back like um a priest moment i won't go into that <laughs> sounds very sort of Jap- <laughs> japanese madeline maybe um, madeline yes <laughs> <laughs> um and if you if you visit japan you'll also find these hinoki trees uh in the parks shrines and the beautiful gardens across the country uh because they're used as ornamental trees so it's a great botanical to include i think Um, And finally, yuzu, and I couldn't not talk about yuzu because it's one of my favourite ingredients from across the world. Um, So it's really unique Japanese fruit and it's very aromatic, like a cross between like an Amalfi lemon and mandarin or a lime. Everybody uses different kind of floral citrusy uh, mix to describe it, but uh, it's really, really unique. So if you can ever get your hands on one or some juice, then definitely try it. Um, and the Kyoto distillery actually get their yuzu hand-peeled from a farm in northwestern area of Kyoto called Ayabe. And it's run by an 87-year-old woman called Tanaka-san. And um, I just thought it was so lovely that they're still using um, 
the same producers that they've been using for, for years. And that's something that's very typical of Japanese culture is someone learns a craft and they continue continue crafting until they're in the 90s. And there was that street food program on Netflix a year or two ago when I remember there was there was quite a few street food stores run by people in the 80s and 90s. Um, and this area of Kyoto also has like beautiful green landscapes and plenty of hot springs. So you can pretend you're there while you're sipping your gin. <laughs> Stick around for some more great gins to try from Alex and Hannah. And um, how do they, how would you, how, how would you drink Kenobi? So I actually asked Alex um, before we were recording this podcast uh, how he'd suggest to serve it because I thought may as well. Um, And he said that they try to serve it as a gin and sonic. Uh, So it's a mixture of tonic and soda. And he said they they choose that because it keeps the drink long and refreshing, but it doesn't overpower the really delicate gin flavours with too much tonic because... Those three botanicals that I spoke about were only three of many. There's others such as Sancho pepper, refreshing shisho leaves, and obviously the fushimi water. So you don't want to um, cancel out those notes. And he also says that not to garnish it because to like to show off the aromas of the gin itself. But um, yeah, the best way to drink it is obviously in Japan in one of the tiny little bars hidden down the back alleys but we can't do that at the moment so I think it's pretty pretty good um alternative definitely yeah Um, I think it's also it's an interesting point you make about not wanting to overwhelm botanicals of a gin because I sometimes find with tonic water is that the flavors are quite bold and you have to kind of be careful that you're matching the right tonic water with the right gin um so if it was a really bold spice gin I would maybe do like a classic Indian tonic water but you know, if it's quite, I, f- I feel like, because I've had Kenobi and it is, it's quite delicate, isn't it? The flavours, the flavours are very kind of quite subtle. Um, so either, you know, using a more delicately flavoured light, lighter tonic water, or as you said, mixing it with soda water, or even just having it with soda water. Sometimes I think that's quite a nice, quite a nice thing to do with gin. Mm. Yeah, because it's, it's like a highball then, isn't yeah. it? In like a whiskey highball, which they serve in Japan. Um, they actually, he said that the, you can you can include it with a bit of water and you can have it cold, hot, frozen or yeah. Yeah. So there's different words for it, diff- the different serves. But um you... with hot water I thought it was quite interesting. Yeah, it's quite interesting. <laughs> I, I know you um when you do like professional tastings with spirits, you sometimes do add a splash of water and it just lowers the ABV, which just um, s- stops your taste buds from being numbed by the, by the by the strength of the alcohol. And it just kind of opens the spirit up for tasting. So it's interesting that they suggest water. Um, we also have a recipe online for a sake martini. Do you think that would be a good gin to use? Oh, yeah. One of Hannigan's special. <laughs> it's delicious, that one. <laughs> Um, so next, Hannah is going to chat about a gin that stands up very well in our favourite gin cocktail, the Negroni. Is it your favourite still? Um, yeah, I mean, I have lots of favourites, but I feel like the Negroni is always going to have yeah. a special place in my heart, as it as it classic. does in yours. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to talk about a gin called Seven Hills Italian Dry Gin. Um, it's made near um, Turin, um, and I wanted to talk about it because. Um, it's supposedly designed to make the perfect Italian Negroni. Um, 
if you're a regular, regular to this podcast, you'll know that, um, that we're big fans of Negroni's Olive. And Negroni is a um, equal parts gin, Campari and Vermouth. Um, and I thought Seven Hills is quite interesting because Turin, um, for those who don't know, is kind of the spiritual home of Vermouth. Um, and Northern Italy in general is is sort of the hub of aperitivo culture. Um, the Negroni was invented in Florence 100 years ago. Um, in Venice, um, you know, that's where things like apple spritzers came from. Um, this gin in particular, um, so supposedly the botanicals were inspired by ancient Rome. Um, and the, the name of the gin, Seven Hills, refers to the seven hills uh, that kind of form the city. Um, but it's quite, the botanicals are quite unusual for a gin. Um, it's artichoke, celery, blood orange, chamomile, rose hip, pomegranate, and juniper, amongst other things. Um, and it does make for quite a punchy, boldly flavoured gin. Um, I would expect to taste, you know, very headily herbal, almost like vegetal aromas, and, and, and as well as being quite citrusy. Um, so it's quite unconventional. It might not be your cup of tea if you if you like something a bit more subtle. It's interesting that they use artichoke, isn't it? Because that's actually really popular in... Uh, Italian aperitifs because of like one of our other favourites, China. And I think often people would say, oh, artichoke, but um, actually it lends a really nice herbaceous uh, aroma, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, artichoke sounds like a super weird thing to make a drink out of. <laughs> um, but um, it's the base for China, which is this bitter Italian aperitif. Um, but actually what it does is it lends a really um, sort of earthy, um, kind of sultry edge to the drink. Um, and I would describe China as kind of like, yeah, like an earthier cousin of Campari. Um, and because of that, um, <clears throat> this, gin, this gin makes really lovely Negroni, but um, because of this artichoke link, I would suggest um, swapping out the Campari for China and making a China Negroni. Um, and it's just a little Ooh, bit softer, yes. just a tad softer, because I find Campari can be a bit... Um, quite sharp um if and that's not always everyone's cup of tea um and interestingly um so i spoke a little bit earlier about spritz culture in venice um obviously everyone associates that with april spritzers which we've got a recipe for on the website but you can make a spritz with a china and that's also drunk in venice um so yeah it's it's it's, it's quite a fun bottle to buy because you can play around with it in lots of different ways I also recently tried uh, Select Spritz. That's also popular uh, which is, there, isn't it? Uh, born in Venice, yeah. Um, really, really interesting. I'm going to going to write about it and add it to our aperitif guide, which Hannah and I have written online, which was very fun to yes, write, it wasn't was. it? It's one of, my, one of my favourite things to do. <laughs> so um, we're now going to move to um, a much more Celtic location, um, which is Ireland. Um, and Alex, why don't you tell us about your ne our ne the next gin? Yeah, so my final gin, it was very hard. We, we decided at the beginning of, not the beginning of the podcast, obviously we've done a bit <laughs> of research, but we decided to pick three each and it was very difficult. Uh, but I, I chose this one because I think it's a really good example of how the botanicals reflect like the area. I wrote a, a piece for Tourism Island about like field to fork and I used like grass to glass in this, which, you know, sounds a bit, but... I, I do think it is a good example of that. And so I have fam family, friends in Ireland. I've visited lots and lots. Um, we used to go to Dingle a lot, but unfortunately I wasn't of drinking age then, so I didn't try it in the country. 
However, um, when I was researching for this piece, um, I came across this fantastic gin and I tried it in London. It's also one of our team member Charlotte's favourite gins and places in the world, actually, Dingle. She wrote a beautiful piece about Castlewood House B&B that overlooks like sparkling Dingle Bay and that's on the website. And even if you can't go, it's a very evocative piece for a bit of escapism. So I recommend reading that. Um, and the gin also won the world's best gin in 2019. So I think that means we've got pretty good taste. I think so too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, so the reason why it's so special is that the distillers forage local ingredients to, so to create this, they call it like a bottled tribute to County Kerry, which is the county uh, that Dingle is in. And so there's Red Fuchsia, which is a familiar site to locals that they call the Tears of God, and they line the, the motorways and the highways uh, in the county. They, they also choose, uh, they've chosen Bog Myrtle, which comes from the shores of Derrynane Beach, and Rowan Berries, which come from the county's mountain ash trees. And finally, they use Heather from the foot of the West Kerry Hills. So it sound, that sounds like... PR chat but I actually think that it does really uh, do do its job because it's very floral fresh gin that really reflects the the forests and moorlands and mountains of the county so I think it's a really nice one to try to to take yourself to Ireland and uh, how would you how would you drink it <laughs> what would be the best serve so they actually say on uh, their website to serve it on the rocks with large cubes of ice mm. and a wedge of fresh orange and a sprinkle of juniper berries, which is quite bold. But as we were saying before, often tonic waters can overpower a little bit. Some of them do really do bring out the botanicals. Um, but uh, yeah, so I would, I'm going to go for that next time and just try and taste those those berries and the bog myrtle and I love the words. Taste the bog myrtle, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, uh, Hannah, you're going to chat about Stranger and Sons. Yes. Where's this from? Okay, so um, Stranger and Sons is um, a gin from the Goan Third Eye Distillery in um, India. Um, and I don't, wow. we haven't really picked, we haven't picked a spice gin so far, which is why I wanted to add it in. Um and I thought what was interesting about this gin is that it uses spices forage or cultivated um, along the Goan and Kerala coasts. Um, and I think sometimes the spice gins, I love good spice gins, um, but sometimes they can be really like punchy and really like strong with the botanicals. Um, and I think what appealed to me about Stranger and Sons was it definitely has a spice character, but it's just quite subtle and warming. Um, and it's got really nice sort of pepper um, nutmeg and licorice notes um, obviously this is summertime but I would also say this is a great wintertime gin particularly maybe something to drink during the festive season um, it'd be interesting to play around with a Negroni if you want more of a spice character to it as well um, it uses um, lots of different um, lots of different botanicals but one that caught my eye in particular was and I'm sorry if I mispronounced this um, Gondaraj lime um, which is also known as a Rangpa lime, and it's a cross between a lime and a mandarin orange. Um, and it's sort of like a, it's obviously very well known in India, but it's less well known over here. Um, but um, it's a distant relative of a kaffir lime, um, and it's often squeezed over rice or into lassi, or it's used in 
dolls and fish curries or in drinks. Um, and I just kind of, that mm. kind of fresh limey flavour, just particularly now, which makes me want to immediately um, mix it up in a drink. Um, and Nice. So how would you serve that then? Well, um, so they also, A Stranger of Sons, have actually a really interesting suggested serve. Um, so they suggest it in a Gibson martini, which basically is a martini made with dry vermouth and a pickled onion garnish, which caught my attention because I normally add a twist of lemon or an olive to my martinis. Um, and I thought pickled onion seems quite quite intriguing. Um, I think a martini is a nice way to appreciate it if you really just want to kind of, you know, um, martinis are great if you just want to taste the actual spirit and maybe not necessarily the mixer. Um, so it's quite good if you That's just... That's a really good point. Yeah, and if, and I think for the more boldly flavoured gin, um, I would see them as, you know, you could see them as almost sipping gins and a martini, obviously you shouldn't, I mean, you can, but you shouldn't really like knock it back. Um, you should sip it slowly. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I think it's, it's, it's a nice way to drink it. Um, mm, I have to try that one. I haven't tried it. Yeah, so um, all these gins you mentioned are on our... Um, uh, international gins roundup online um and there are a few other favorite ones on there so there's monkey 47 from germany which is again one of my favorite gins um broken bones dry gin from slovenia four pillars red dry gin from australia and i could just go on and on so yeah go and check it out great thanks happy drinking and escaping everybody yeah <laughs> <laughs> and happy world gin day yeah happy world happy world gin day so that was yellow magazine podcast if you want to explore more of our podcast back catalogue of over 200 episodes you'll find us on all the main podcast platforms and on our website olivemagazine.com where you'll always find tons of useful recipes and great cooking advice and if you're finding it difficult to get your monthly mag why not become a temporary subscriber you'll get the next three copies of olive magazine delivered to your door for a single payment of 12 pounds 50 saving 15% off the usual shop price with free delivery and no obligation to continue after three months. To take advantage, go to buysubscriptions.com forward slash allpod3. That's O-L-P-O-D 3. Stay safe and we'll see you next week when we'll have a brand new episode to listen to. Listener.